0: Here we go. Take number three. If you've got a website, you need a system to manage your content. Drupal. If you want to build a web application, you've got to download Drupal. 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 Drupal, Drupal, Drupal. Welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number one hundred and sixty-eight. My name is Mike Anello. And with me today is Ted Bowman. How are you, Ted?
1: Doing good. Can't complain.
0: Very good. And Anna Colada, who may or may not be on mute because of a very loud freight elevator. Nope, I'm back. They're all done. You're back. Fantastic. Welcome back. Happy New Year to you, Anna. Happy New Year. And our guests today, uh, Jen Lampton and Nate Hoag. Uh, did I pronounce that right, Nate? It's Hog. Hoag. You know... Well, Think
2: of it like the dragon, How like Smaug from
3: from uh, the Hobbit.
0: I needed that tip about five years ago. <laughs>
3: <laughs> for those few people that can pronounce Smaug correctly,
0: there you go. Yeah, that's problem number two.
2: Well, come on, that's like the entire audience of this podcast, right?
0: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure um, you know the Hobbit was like required reading for you know most most listeners here. Yeah. See. So. So, Jen and Nate, you two are co founders of the Backdrop CMS, which is a fork of Drupal 7. Um, in addition, you guys are both Drupal 8 code, contri- uh, uh, I was going to say code, but core contributors. Um, and you have both been around the Drupal community for a long, long time. And I, we've had both of you on the show previously. So, welcome back, obviously. Thanks. Happy um, New Year. I'm sorry? Happy New Year. Oh, thank you very much. And, and right back at you. Um, so today we want to talk about just kind of get an update on Backdrop and where you guys are and, and how it relates to Drupal and kind of, you know, they're, we're kind of cousins at this point. The two projects are, you know, cousins or or, or brothers, yeah, siblings, yeah, however you want to look at it. Um, so first of all, give us, you know, for someone who is listening to this podcast and has heard of Backdrop but doesn't really know what it is or what it does or why it exists, can one of you give us kind of the the you know the ten thousand foot view of, of Backdrop?
2: Sure. Um, so Backdrop is actually a fork of uh, Drupal eight, but it's really really early Drupal eight when Drupal eight looked a lot like Drupal seven, and the the primary reason for uh, the fork is that Drupal has morphed over time organically into something that's very different today from that it what it was a while ago and there are a whole bunch of people um, who have this lifetime of knowledge associated with how Drupal used to be and there are a whole bunch of companies that have you know, large collections of code that's been written for Drupal as it used to be, and there are some people that aren't interested in learning something new. There are some companies that aren't interested in investing in taking all of this code that's been written and turning it into something different. Um, so we felt that there was a, a kind of a demand for a continuation of Drupal as it had been in the past, uh, rather than turning to a you know completely new way of writing code, a different target audience, um, uh, and we thought that. We could create this project based on the Drupal of yesteryear and continue to move the project forward in the ways that people need. Like we need things to be more responsive. We need new features. We need continued continued development um, rather than just kind of standing on a platform like Drupal 7, which is already five years old. Uh, The biggest personal reason for, for me to be involved in a project like Backdrop is because my clients are not... Um, big spenders when it comes to websites. Uh, I was feeling a lot of pain and pressure in people who are already owning websites, feeling that the cost of ownership was too high. They wanted to find a way to make it more affordable to host, to make it more affordable to pay developers, to make it f- more affordable, particularly around the pain of upgrading from version to version. Um, and looking at the future of where Drupal is going and how it's trying to move so much faster forward in each step, that there's, there's going to be a cost on the community to, to stay up to date with that. And so for me personally, it was trying to create a tool for people that would be more affordable for long-term ownership so that I can't look to this person who I built a website for six years ago for you know $2,000 and say, oh, sorry, it's going to be more than twice the cost of your original website just to keep it up to date. Um, so just trying to find a more affordable solution for small to medium-sized businesses, nonprofits, people who just need a website, they don't necessarily have... Um, you know the, the same kind of demands as some of the the most popular Drupal sites you see out there
0: today. So, what's the downside? What's the you know why would someone look at backdrop and and say no? I don't want to use that. I want I want to move to Drupal eight.
2: Well, there are a lot of people who have steered the direction of Drupal eight in the direction it's gone today. Um, it's come from developers in the community who felt. Um, you know that need. They want to use more modern development practices. They are tired of the way the code used to be, and they want to do something different. They want to do something new. They want to do something modern. They feel the you know the pain associated with the way things were done in the past, and they're trying to find a solution to it. Uh, we're trying to find solutions to those problems too, but with a different underlying philosophy to ha- how we come across those solutions. I mean, we obviously are starting with all the same problems, but coming to different conclusions about how to solve them.
3: Yeah, I want to add. I want to add one more thing about the explanation of why backdrop in the first place. And Jen touched on it real lightly there that there's like a real substantial philosophical difference that we have from, from Drupal and that is our stance towards backwards compatibility and Drupal historically has had um, not just a, um, you know, a, a low regard for backwards compatibility but actually kind of actively hostile towards back to backwards compatibility because they consider philosophically that maintaining backwards compatible code means that it devo- develops cruft and then it has overhead which is true um, But the lack of backwards compatibility in between major versions has been one of the reasons why maintaining Drupal websites over long periods of time is expensive, is because every major version, you have to have a retraining of your developers, a rewriting of a fair amount of your website, um, and all of that adds up to increased cost. Oh, plus the upgrade path, of course. That's that's a huge issue. Um, And with Drupal 8, they really kind of took that to a new extreme that the, the level of rewriting and the, uh, similarities between the old code and the new code were really small that, um, the, the backwards compatibility disregard basically makes it so that the, the upgrade from Drupal seven to Drupal eight is going to be enormously painful for site owners. And that makes it expensive basically. And so with having a high regard for backwards compatibility and kind of, um, making sure that we maintain that in an upgrade path, that results in an overall lower cost of ownership. So that's why we're saying that we're for smaller sites because we're basically saying we're, we want to be for the budget conscientious sites and we're providing that by having a different stance on backwards compatibility.
0: So along that thread, does that mean that someone could, could get a Drupal 7 module from Drupal.org and drop it into the latest version of Backdrop and have it work?
2: So the the correct answer to that question is no, Um, but... There are some modules where that's possible. In general, the only thing that's actually required in order to get your module to work on Backdrop instead of Drupal is to take that line in the info file that says core equals 7.x and change it to say Backdrop is 1. But there's a bunch of things in Backdrop that are a little bit different than they were in Drupal, and they're not going to work the way you want them to in Backdrop if you just drop in a Drupal module. In particular, we have this concept of configuration management where all of our variables are saved into configuration files. And if you want to be able to export and deploy your configurations and you have a Drupal 7 module that was saving that stuff in the variables table, that's not going to work. Um, so our, our goal for making things compatible between Drupal 7 and Backdrop is to make it as fast as possible for you to port that module from Drupal to Backdrop. So we're looking at like an hour or a couple of hours um, rather than weeks or months in rewriting all of the code in the module to get it to work on a, a completely different framework like Drupal 8.
0: So you touched on configuration management there, and I, I was going to go to that in a second anyway. So let, let's follow up on that. Um, obviously, that was a big focus of Drupal 8, as well as the initial release of Backdrop. So can you explain a little bit more how it works in Backdrop?
2: Sure. So um, the, the problem is you have a website that's live, and you need to make a change. And that change might require creating a new content type or adding new fields. Um, These are are changes that require um, differences in the structure of your database. And so if you build this new feature on uh, a local copy of your website and you get it all ready and working, the process of taking that change and deploying it to your production site is really tricky in Drupal just because all of these changes in the database need to figure out how to get them back and forth. Um, And so we came up with this uh, features module solution that everybody's been using for configuration management on Drupal. That's not what it was originally intended for, but it is pretty darn good at that job, so that's what we've been using it for. But there are a couple of places where it just doesn't work the way it should because it's not how Drupal was intended to be used. So um, Drupal 8 solved this problem with configuration management. We solved the problem with configuration management. Slightly different solutions to the configuration management problem uh, for both projects. So what we're doing is instead of saving data about the configurations of that content type or those fields in the database... They're saved in uh, flat files. So we're using JSON as the format for our files where all of those configurations are stored. And then as the system runs, it checks the configurations directly out of those files. So there's no... Um, database entry for them in backdrop like there is in Drupal. Uh, And changes to those files will cause instant changes in the configurations on the site. So we have our variables writing directly to those files and reading directly out of those files. So if someone saves a settings form, it'll just update that file and read from that file later. Um, We also have During the process of deployment, there is a script that will parse all of the changes in your files and run the necessary database updates so that you're not just changing those files directly. There's a a kind of an import-export process um, when you're doing deployments. But the the problem space is just take the, the configuration out of the database and put it into flat files, and that way you can manage them in version control and you can move them from environment to environment.
1: So, is it similar to Drupal eight in the sense that you know we're not talking about individual individual features anymore; we're talking about configuration for the whole site as one thing.
3: Yes. Yep. Yeah. Really, implementation-wise, it's it's really similar. I mean, it even came from early earlier Drupal eight. Um, some of the approaches that were used there back when um, Hey Rocker was um, initially writing it—that's where it came from. So, there's it's nothing really too surprising. Um, with the similarities with Drupal 8. The only real substantial differences, I think, are um, the way that these things are defined and exposed. Like in Drupal um, in 8, they're exposed through a series of YAML files, um, as many things are in Drupal 8. Um, and in Backdrop land, we stuck with the existing paradigms of basically using info hooks when we needed to expose things. And so in Backdrop, there's uh, hook config info, I think it is, and it basically just says, you know, what config files do you use, what are they used for, how do I export them, and that sort of information. And that's it's it's basically, I mean, it's the same idea of storing all of your config in, in some kind of exportable... Uh, thing that isn't the database. Uh, I mean, in Drupal 8, you can swap it out to store it other places. It's just that, I mean, in early Drupal 8, they actually used YAML files all the time, but they were so slow um, that then they switched to using the database. And so uh, they're, they're really pretty much the same in, in, in implementation. It's just a, a matter that backdrop kind of stuck with the traditional Drupal approach, which is using the hook system, and Drupal 8 used its new approaches that they, they made for those purposes.
0: It sounds like for, you know, because everything's being read and written from flat files, performance you know might take a hit, but knowing that kind of the, the core audience for Backdrop is small to medium-sized site, that it sounds like that's not too big of a concern.
2: We actually have yeah, less of an issue with performance too because we chose to stick with the JSON format, which is about 70 times fa- 75 times faster than YAML because there's a native JSON parser. Where YAML wasn't a native parser, so it wasn't quite the same performance impact for for Backdrop as it was for Drupal. Okay. Um, Nate, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the performance.
3: Yeah, it's fast. It's it's definitely fast. Backdrop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, very good. It definitely wait,
2: wait, feels wait. fast. Like when you're using it, it, it feels significantly faster than Drupal Seven.
0: So, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't one of the when. Early on with the CMI and Drupal 8 discussion, trying to figure out what type of file it was going to be, I think one of the, I don't want to say requirements, but one of the nice-to-haves would be that the configuration files would be in a readable format. Yep. And I think that was, correct me if I'm wrong, that, from what I remember, that was one of, the, one of the drivers for going with YAML over JSON. We actually haven't,
2: haven't had any issues with the, the format being readable and most web developers are familiar with JSON as a concept and so we felt like sticking with something that people already knew was going to be uh, the benefit of that would vastly outweigh the significant differences in readability.
0: So just out of curiosity, how much of an effort was it to you know, from the, from the time that you forked, how much of an effort was it for you to do that configuration management stuff because that seems like that's that's a lot of stuff deep down in Drupal.
3: It actually it's it's not that bad. Like uh, converting stuff to configuration management, hopefully, I mean, hopefully, your all of your modules you already had CRUD operations, you know, create, read, update, mm-hmm. delete functions, um, and most of the time those were just writing to database tables. Um, and the switch to configuration management basically was, well, you just take those database rights and you change them to config rights. Um, and then you make hook config info to expose it to the configuration management system. And that, that was the whole deal. Um, it Actually, I, I would say like converting a system, I don't know, just simple things like contact categories or something like that take a, like an hour. Um, something like content types took like a week. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Um, like when, Once you got into the rhythm of it, it really kind of went along pretty quickly. I think we had everything converted probably in, I don't know, two months or so. Yeah. So one thing
1: I really like about the new, and I haven't looked, I've, looked at, I've installed Backdrop, but I haven't really looked at how the configuration works. But one thing I do like about Drupal 8 is this individual file per thing because it makes it like managing it in Git really obvious. Like, I see this one file changed. It's like, oh yeah, I changed that content type so I don't have I sort of can tell by you know by the file by by the git status that oh yeah this is what I expected did backdrop do that same sort of thing where it's one JSON file per content type or per field
3: Yeah. yep cool (laughs) <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a, it's a little bit annoying sometimes. It's a little too granular, like how fields are individual from or separated from the um, from the content type itself, which is to be expected, actually, because that's the way the database structure was in Triple Seven. Was mm-hmm. each field had its configuration, each content type had its configuration, and they were separate, and it, it's like on on a wish list feature. Um, for us as well as Drupal 8 I imagine that being able to do things like I just want to export a content type you know just give, mm-hmm. give me an archive or all of the uh, JSON files that are associated with the content type and all of its fields and then be able to import all of them would be like a huge win so um, I think over- in,
1: I think in Drupal 8 the features module is sort of trying to do that
2: Yeah, that's extent. kind of what I see the, the future features and backdrop would be as well um, but but I think beyond that, like in a config-driven world where features used to be responsible for configuration management and now we already have configuration management, features could go back to being in charge of features again, yeah. too, um, which is something that I don't know that anybody's actually thought about for a good long time since we've been using features for configuration management.
0: So let's talk about, I mean, you guys are up to, I don't want to say you guys, I know the community is bigger than just the two of you, so the backdrop community is up to version 1.3. Um, so so, in in our rundown here, we have a list of, you guys put a nice enough to put a list of some of what you, you know, your opinion of kind of what the big features were for each release, but rather than going through the entire list, why don't, you know, each of you take a turn and say, you know, what's your favorite thing that's been added to Backdrop? Nate, you want to start?
3: Oh yeah, I'd love to. Other than configuration management. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, hands hands down layouts. I think layouts are. I mean, it's a huge differentiator from from Drupal 8, honestly. Um, and it's also just it's just enormously powerful, and it's just fantastic. It's. Um, I, I mean, if you were to say it in a sentence, it's panels and core. Um, more elaborately, um, themes are no longer responsible for the layout of your website. Like you know in. Drupal 7 and in Drupal 8, and basically all versions of Drupal, the theme defines what regions you have. So themes are often described by, you know, this is a three column layout, this is a a theme that uses bootstrap grids, or this is a theme that uses Zen grids, right? And they're often defined by what layout mechanism they use. Um, In backdrop, layouts are entirely a new top level concept. So just like in Drupal 7, you had .info files for exposing themes. Um, We have a new directory called layouts and you have .info files for exposing layout templates. And so you get this nice thing where out of the box we ship with four different layouts like a a left column, uh, two column template, a a right column, two column template, a three column template, and then a legacy template that is essentially what Bartik's uh, more advanced layout included with the triptychs and all of that business. and that makes it so that any theme on your, like it doesn't matter what theme you're using, they always have the same layouts available to them. So you can switch between different themes and your site structure stays exactly the way it is. You don't lose your block positioning because the blocks are in the layouts not in the theme. They're not they're not bound together. Um, and then if you want more layouts you can go and install like individual layout projects. Like we've got a port of um, the Radix layouts, which in Drupal Uh, seven actually was a module, I believe. And so uh, you can throw that on and then you've got 24 new layouts that you can use and they're totally portable between any theme. So you choose your your grid system by choosing what layout you want to install and then separately you install your theme and they're just entirely separate now.
0: So is this one of those things where when you're using Backdrop, you're actually, you're always using, and I'm going to use Panels because that's what most of our listeners are probably familiar with but you're always using layout you're always using panels
3: yeah yep that's right and and there's two layouts that are out of box right now there's a default admin layout when you're on an admin page and there's a default layout uh, for the entire front end so out of the box it's a lot like Drupal 7 because you've got um, you know one layout for your admin which is one column and then you've got a layout for your front end which is two column um, but then you can take any path on your entire site and say, "I want to add a different layout to this," um, which is great because then you can have you can have like twenty different layout templates, and you can choose per page which template or which you know set of regions makes the most sense for that page. And you can do that like per node uh, or per node type, um, per path in the menu system. Do it basically any path you want. There's an infinite number of. Um, times you can apply different layouts and different templates to each page on the site. So it's very very similar to panels, but the UI experience is, is a lot better. It's actually fundamentally a port of panels under the hood, so it has all of the same concepts as panels, even the same terminology as panels. Um as far as, like, contexts and relationships and things like that go. But um, the UI has been entirely written from scratch to make it so that it's a lot friendlier than than panels had been.
1: I have played around with this a bit in backdrop, and it is really nice. You guys actually re- took away the blocks page altogether, right? And this replaces blocks altogether? Or this well, uses blocks, have- but you don't...
2: Blocks are a little different in in Backdrop, especially this is one of the changes that just went into the uh, 1.3 release as well. Um, Blocks... Save their content into configuration files instead of into the database. And we have a list there. If you have a block and you make it reusable, there is a list under structure of your reusable blocks. So if you wanted to edit the content of a block, you have an interface for that. But this replaces that weird um, like table drag block positioning page. It's just the page we have now is just a list of your blocks, like a list of your content or a list of your users.
3: Yeah, so custom blocks or block module still exists. Its uh, functionality is just really limited in scope now, where it's basically you can create and delete and edit your custom blocks, but positioning them is all done in layouts. All
0: right, and John, how about you? What's your, your kind of go-to, you know, favorite feature? Well, you've
2: happening? already mentioned my two favorite features, which are well, configuration management three. and <laughs> <laughs> layout.
0: We're digging deep. <laughs>
2: I don't know. I feel like it, it depends on which day you ask me what my favorite thing is, because uh, it depends on what I'm working on, what I'm most proud of. Well, how about um, if, you're,
0: if but, you're demoing it, like for a potential client, and who's familiar with Drupal, and you go, "Hey, but here's some cool things that we've added that
2: you know." Oh, it's all cool. Okay, so the thing I'm most excited about right now um, is something that we just kind of squeezed in in the last minute for the 1.3 release, which is the notification icon. Um, And this is just something because it always bothered me in Drupal where if, for example, a new security update comes out of Drupal Core and you log into your website and you visit like the admin page, all of a sudden there's this horrible red message on your site that's like, help, there's something wrong, your security is out of date or whatever, right? And if you have a, a client that has higher level administrative access, the first time they see that, it's like a panic runs through them or like, oh my God, something's horribly wrong with my website. But then they go to a different page and there's no message. Message at all, and they're like, "Oh, I don't know what that was, but maybe it's not important." And then, you know, an hour later, they go back to the admin page and they're like, "Ah, the message is still here." So it's this very inconsistent panic s- s- cycle that your clients are running through, and then you get these phone calls or emails or whatever. Um, so what we decided to do in Backdrop is take that um, that temporary panic and when your site is out of date we've removed the the status message that it pops up on random pages and instead we've just put a little red dot in the admin bar at the top um so we we took admin module made it responsive and, and um touch friendly and put it in core. And so we took this notification icon and just added it to the admin menu. So if your site's out of date, there's a little red circle that's like there's one problem with your website. And you click on it, and it takes you to the status report and tells you what's wrong. Um, and that'll appear on the front end of your site. It'll appear on the back end of your site. It'll show only to the people who have permission to see the status report page. Um, so it's kind of a, a good indicator everywhere that you know, if there's something's wrong, you'll find out about it. And it, it, as soon as we put it in, I instantly noticed that I had like a problem with my files directory. I don't know how long that had been there, but I'd never noticed it until the patch mm-hmm. went in. And then they, just, you know, after he started using 1.3, he's like, oh, hey, I also just noticed that there's this update that I need to run. That you know, it was this kind of thing where you don't realize how much of that you miss um, without that little indicator there. So that's been a huge win for me. It's just a, a tiny little change that it makes a significant impact in your experience using the product
0: so is that one of those things where if it's if there's a security update it'll be red it'll be like a little red indicator in your ad in the toolbar in the admin menu i should say and if there's a non if there's like a yellow warning it'll be a yellow dot is that kind of the idea
2: so long term, we want to make an entire like notification system so that you can have messages that you can dismiss. Um, but because we don't have dismissible messages right now, we decided not to put the yellow or orange or blue indicators on there because they might bother people, and we don't want to train people to ignore that dot. Um, so right now, all that it only show up if you have like a serious problem with your website, an actual error that needs to be resolved. So it'll show up if it's red, and if it's not an error. It, you won't know about it unless you go to the status report. But long term, we are planning on putting that stuff in there. We just figured there are a lot of modules that add little yellow warnings that you safely ignore, and we didn't want to
0: train people to ignore the dot. Fair enough. So what's uh, what's coming in one point four? So I one. Whose dog was that? Was that Ted's dog?
1: <laughs> not me. Uh-huh. The, the dog is is locked out of the room. It's okay.
0: not my dog either.
2: <laughs> Backdrop 1.4, um, we're going to add a reference module solution. So, uh, right now, most people who are using Backdrop are using the references module as opposed to entity reference. Because um, that was the first module to get ported, we looked at the code in both modules and preferred the code style in the references module to that in Entity Reference. But the module that we want to put in Core will be a lot more like the Entity Reference module for Drupal. Um, we're just going to do a little refactoring of the code so that it, you know, we'll probably actually start with References module and refactor that to get the feature of Entity Reference. Um, but that's on the on the roadmap for 1.4 because we need a, a reference solution in Core. Um, we also want to add a redirect module solution we put in automatic path aliasing so the path auto module went in early and that's created some issues where if your title on your node changes and your path automatically updates you now lose track of you know a bookmark that somebody put to the previous page. Um, so we want to be able to get a redirect solution in there, and we want to be able to let people specify a canonical source of a particular article. Um, so that's that's on our roadmap as well. It's also kind of a, a big project, so hopefully we'll be able to get everything done for that that we have in mind. And then the two biggest changes for 1.4 are going to be adding a new front-end theme so that Bartik won't be the only front and theme and core, and also adding a new set of layouts. So um, right now, Nate mentioned that we've got four. That uh, most of the time is not enough for a full, flushed-out website. And so people have been installing these contributed projects of layouts. People have been adding custom layouts. We thought we would make a, a more solid project, project if we had more layouts available Um, but we need to do a little bit of thinking about how how like should we decide on a grid system for everyone to use and will that affect what happens in contrib if we choose one people um, like or don't like or how do we actually make them all consistent and it it gets a little tricky so our task for the next four months is to come up with uh, something that makes sense for both the front end theme and the front end our new set of both front end and back end layouts
4: So your next release is in four months? Yep, it's scheduled for May 15th.
2: Um, So far, all of our releases have come out on time, which is fantastic. Um, In general, if we have too much on our plate for a given release, we'll just decide what's realistic and what's not realistic and push the things that aren't going to get done on time to the next release so that we can still release on schedule. And that way, companies can budget around the releases and developers can schedule time around the releases and everyone can kind of stay on track. Um, regardless of what's in them, they still get some new features.
4: Cool. So one of the things I'm most curious about as a Drupal contributor is how the contribution experience is uh, around Backdrop. Um, specifically, because I know you guys use GitHub for Backdrop, and so I'm wondering, like, how that how's that different or how are things the same um, from working on Drupal.org?
2: It's definitely different. Um, it, it's something that if you are a contributor to other open source projects, working on GitHub is going to be very intuitive and natural to you, and contributing on Drupal.org is not. It's going to be a very strange process. Um, But we're kind of coming from the opposite direction, where most of our people have come from the Drupal world, and they have experience with the Drupal contribution process, and they come to GitHub, and it's very foreign and new. Uh, But one thing that we have to our advantage is that almost everybody who comes to GitHub wants to learn the GitHub way because it's GitHub. So even though it may not be better, in a lot of ways it may be worse than the workflow we had before, it doesn't really matter. People want to learn and are motivated to learn anyway. So that's definitely been to our advantage. (laughs) Um, there are a couple of things that feel better, like uh, being able to use a pull request feels like a more modern solution to a problem than having to submit a patch file and the ability to um, merge them and see your diffs all in the user interfaces is pretty slick on GitHub. Um, but uh, GitHub is not a great place for collaboration in spite of its tagline saying that it's for social coding. It's really not uh, intended for multiple people to work on the same problem. It's kind of expected that one person will own a project and that person will be the gatekeeper and then one person will own a pull request and that person will be the gatekeeper for the pull request. And there's not a lot of good ways to collaborate. Um, so we've been struggling a little bit with how do you train people to work on someone else's pull request and, you know, do we post links to patches so people can test things more easily and kind of trying to solve all of these collaboration problems that GitHub doesn't do for you that people didn't really have to worry so much about on
1: Drupal.org. So as far as like the pull requests, like I definitely see how it wouldn't be as collaborative, though I do, you know, I, I do like them when I've worked in teams like for clients. but. I mean, do you think it's something in just the nature of the way pull requests work or just the way that, like, GitHub is using them? I mean, could pull requests, if done differently, be more collaborative, do you think?
2: I think so. I mean, I think the the problem that we're trying to solve is that the most common use case of people trying to fix something on Drupal.org is somebody showing up and saying, I had this problem. Here's my solution. They leave a patch and they disappear. And they don't ever come back to that problem again. But somebody else can come along a month later and say, I had that problem too, your patch only fixed half of it, here's a new patch. And that like second person problem is not solved in the pull request workflow because the first person's pull request will remain open forever. The second person can apply change to the first person's pull request, but then the first person has to actually be there to keep working on it. And I think if there was a, a better way that GitHub could figure out how to let person two kind of take over the work from person one, or have all of the work not belong to any of these people, but belong to the parent project, where anyone can come and do pull requests. There's definitely a smarter organization that could be done. Um, we haven't quite figured out how that works because every pull request is on a fork, and it's just it's a little sloppy. But
1: because um, I think yeah. there's like, would...
2: definitely
3: potential.
1: So go ahead, go ahead, Nate.
3: Yeah, right now we basically treat pull requests um, because a pull request is owned by a single user and other people can't push to it without their permission. We basically treat pull requests as though they were patches, um, if you were thinking in the Drupal way, where um, one person A files a pull request and then person B uh, clones their pull request down into their repository, makes modifications, adds another commit, and then pushes it and then opens another pull request. So every time you get... Um, you know, another person interacting with the same code, they make a new pull request, the equivalent of a new patch. But then, if if they're the one that keeps iterating on it, they can tend to keep working on that same pull request until they stop. And then, if it switches back to person A, person A will, you know, then start updating their pull request, pulling their changes from the other one. I mean, it, it can be a little bit more complicated. But the problem with that is that people have a little bit of uh, they can have some hard feelings if uh, um, if person B re-rolled person A's uh, pull request and in the process closed person A's pull request because it's now been superseded by pull request B. Like, person A feels like they just got shut down. But really, they just, they, they just need to make a new pull request. You know, it's like filing a new patch, you know. And, and if you don't close the open pull requests, then you get flooded with just all of these stale pull requests that would never get committed, you know? And so it can be disheartening to people to have their pull request closed when in reality it's not offend, It's not intended to offend them. It's just saying, we've just done more work on it and it's just in another pull request and then that one should be closed and you should file a new one. So just like, like re-rolling te- patches, it's just a lot of pull requests.
2: <laughs> it's also technically a lot harder to do things uh, like take... A commit from somebody else's pull request and put it on your branch. Like the commands for doing that in GitHub are not easy. And so I know what I've found myself doing a lot of times is just taking patches and applying them and then committing again. But then you lose the attribution that way for the person who did the first commit. So it's, it's really tricky to try and figure out how you can actually like, credit everybody appropriately. And the commands that you use to do that, GitHub will expose, but only to committers of the project. So it's really hard to let you know five other people collaboratively work on this pull request and make sure that they all end up with attribution for it at the end.
1: Yeah, my dream would be like Drupal.org using something like GitHub, but not GitHub. And I know there's GitLab, which is a company that has an open source product that is similar but not the same, and presumably, I guess, more flexible since it is they do expose the code. But that would obviously be a huge, huge change for Drupal.org.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The best the best solutions to this problem I've seen are, are the Atlassian products, the Stash. Uh, product that they have is is really good about collaborative pull requests where if you have permission, then you can just push to a pull request and you can modify pull requests by just saying, if you didn't want a, a commit, you can just remove it from the pull request and then go back to what was there previously before you do the merge. Um, it's just a lot, a lot better. <laughs> but I, I have a feeling, the nice thing about using GitHub is that... Um, they're not standing still, right? Their entire business is around providing these tools and that we don't have to put in any effort into making those tools better, that they kind of get better on their own all the time. And so we've seen like the permissioning system has gotten a lot better just in the past couple of months. Um, Webhooks are enormously powerful and they had a a major uh, overhaul like nine months ago. And so we keep getting these new features and new functionality and we don't need to worry about it. Like We can focus on our unique problems and our unique infrastructure, and the project management tools take care of themselves. So that's that's been a huge relief to us. And of course, it's um, something that we need as a smaller um, community that we need to be focusing on our software and not so much on the tools around building it.
2: Also on that note, um, another super big win about working on GitHub is the ability to use the Travis CI autom- for your automated testing. Um, we don't have to maintain an infrastructure for our tests uh, like like Drupal is trying to do right now, um, and that's been hugely beneficial for us too. I think Nate spent maybe a week in the very beginning setting that up, and ever since then, its t- tests have been like a, a non non issue for us, which has been fantastic.
3: Yeah, I thought that they would be a little bit upset because uh, Drupal's uh, test suite was so heavy. But um, as it turns out, like we're—I mean—we're completely inconsequential to to Travis with the number of pull requests and the number of builds that they do on on a daily basis. Um, and actually, as, as time has gone on, our tests have gotten faster, both through a combination of optimizations and Backdrop to make the tests go faster and um, and Travis CI's like server offerings getting faster over time too. I think initially, like Travis has a limit of fifty minutes on their time run. So if you go over that, then your tests will consider themselves failed. So that's a motivator to get, to keep the tests uh, uh, test times down. But over time, like when we started the project, tests were running at about forty minutes. Um, now, at least on we we dual test PHP five three, which is the low end of the spectrum, and PHP seven, which is the high end. Of course, um, as far as the the breadth of support the backdrop has, and the PHP five three ones finish in like I don't know t- around twelve 14. minutes or so, yeah, 14, it's about fourteen, yeah. And the PHP seven ones finish in like under ten minutes, um, which is just fantastic. It's it's way faster than than what we'd had. Um, on Drupal.org, and it's also um, a lot easier to manage and deal with.
0: Okay, so many questions, so <laughs> many questions. We're gonna have to. I, I'm thinking of new questions as uh, as I listen to you guys. Um, we've been we've we've had John for about 40 minutes so far, so let me uh, let's do some quick ones here. Um, that I'm sure uh, people who are familiar with Backdrop might be uh, curious about. And, you know, number one, what's the size of your community at this point? You know, what's the size of you know active contributors or people who are using Backdrop? Do you have any numbers that you can share? We don't yeah, have a lot I- of
2: numbers, but um, I, I feel like our community is doing really well. Uh, over the past year, we've had probably more than 50 people contribute to Core, which is pretty good considering it's just the first year of our project's existence. Um, Nate, I don't know if you have a list of more accurate numbers uh, on hand, but we also have um, uh, 50 people that have applied for uh, applications to join the Contrib group. So this is people who have modules, themes, and layouts for sharing, which is great. Um, and we have this growing number of uh other people (laughs) which is interesting like uh when we first started with backdrop we're kind of saying we're gearing this towards a very specific target audience and that target audience is not people who've traditionally been contributors to Drupal and so it's the kind of thing where it's like we think they exist but we don't really know that they exist um but we have this massive amount of companies that we've never heard of that are like Drupal, Joomla, WordPress companies that have submitted um uh what are they called? Supporter nodes, basically, on the, on the website. They're like, we support Backdrop. And we're like, we, we thought you existed. It's great to know you actually exist um, with links to their websites and stuff so we know that they're legitimate. We've had a whole bunch of users creating accounts on the website, and the user account creation has only been open for about three weeks now. Um, so I think, I don't know, Nita, if you have numbers on that, but I think there's about 90 people who have created an account on the website just in the last three weeks, which is pretty mm-hmm. good.
3: If you you hurry right now after you hear this podcast, you might get a two-digit user ID. (laughs) But probably not. not. There's lots of three-digit ones, though. Yeah, lots of
4: those.
2: And then uh, we've got this list of uh, people on our email list that is interesting. We don't really do very much promotion for people to sign up, but there's a form on our website, and every go every time we go to send a new le- newsletter, we're like, "Where are all these people coming from?" So it's really great that there are people who are not necessarily active um, contributors who are around and interested and fascinated in what's going on in backdrop and that's that's great because th- those are the people that we thought we were building this for, and it's great to know they actually exist so.
0: All right. Very good. So, uh, next question: You know, how has overall how's the Drupal community reacted to this? I mean, you you've, Backdrop's been around for a year and a half now. Is that about right?
2: So, Backdrop 1.0 was released a year ago on on January 15th. So, 1.3 this year on January 15th. But we've been working on it for about. Um, it was a year and a half before the initial release. So it's about two and a half years since people heard about it, I guess. Um, And there's definitely been a mixed reaction. Uh, There are, especially initially, there are a bunch of people who are really upset about it. Um, But I think that the people who are really upset about it were the people who wanted Drupal to be what Drupal 8 is today. And they have gotten what they wanted. So I feel like there are a lot, less grumpy um, than they were two years ago Um, where there there are also a huge amount of people who are feeling the same things that we're feeling in terms of the cost of ownership of a Drupal website, the complexity of the code, the, the speed at which you can accomplish things, just not being in line with what they wanted. And they're in favor of having, more options you know it's not that you need to choose one side or the other it's that for any given project you can say you know this one needs to be done tomorrow or this one you know has a very limited budget and we're going to do something different and we'll use backdrop and then this one isn't you know they've got a huge budget and they want all of these crazy bells and whistles and we can do that the way that we want to do it in triple eight um and people seem to understand now too whereas i think two and a half years ago a lot of people didn't know what the future held for Drupal. And so they didn't understand, you know, how could anyone even conceive of a fork? And now that they can see Drupal 8 and be like, oh, okay, I get it. Even if you don't agree, you can kind of get it. Um, We've also had this this interesting experience of the whole first year we were talking about Backdrop. We were going to Drupal events and talking about backdrop because, you know, those were our people and that's what we knew. And there's always a a kind of a mixed response at a Drupal event where half the people are there like, well, I'm here because I love this Drupal thing and I love what Drupal is doing and I love the future that Drupal is headed towards and why are you telling me that there's another option? Um, And then there's half the people that are like, yeah, okay, I can see where you're coming from. So we've had kind of a mixed response there. Um, but starting this year, we started going to events that were specifically geared towards our target audience, like nonprofit events or open source events or just like, you know, activists, software developer groups that just need a tool to get something done. Um, and the response there has been amazingly overwhelming, where we're not going to Drupal people and saying, we built you something that's not Drupal, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to tech events and saying, we built you a tool that can do what you want to do for you know, less money that's more performant that you can use tomorrow, a little easier before Drupal 8 was out, but <laughs> <laughs> now um, you know, and, and it's the kind of thing where people are like, wow, like I have a Drupal website, it, I've always felt the same things that you feel and I wanted an alternative, but I used Drupal because it was good at the things it was good at, but now there is an alternative that's still good at the things that Drupal is good at, um, so it's great to kind of reach out to the audience that we intended this for and have them be so responsive about I want that, you know, I'm going to go talk to my boss tomorrow or I'm going to go share this with my developer friends or I'm going to take this back to Mexico or India or wherever they came from and share it with the world. Um, And that's been, it feels so much better to have that kind of response um, than the kind that we get at a lot of Drupal events.
0: So by the way, I just got user ID 112. Oh no, (laughs) No. sorry everyone. I got (laughs) 111. So three digits for everybody. What I of course
1: so- have been. I have, of course been paying attention to our guests.
0: <laughs> what number are you, Mr. Bowman? Oh, I'm you're, listening. You're, <laughs> oh, you're so well, good. Luck in a three-digit number, then. Is about, so.
1: The podcast is not going to be released right away, so
0: you got some time. Um, so you mentioned. And I, I don't know how much you'd want to talk about this, but has there been you know occasions, and I, I don't want to get into specifics, but ha- have. Has there been an occasion where you've tried to go to a Drupal event and either present on Backdrop or do something Backdrop related and been asked to not show up or not talk about Backdrop?
2: Yeah, actually, um, we have been approached by DrupalCon organizers in in various different places around the world, um, most notably both in Colombia and in India. The organizers of the conference have reached out to us and said, we need to hear about Backdrop. Please come and talk. To us about it, and um, in both cases, we have been instructed not to attend uh, the conference, and or not not to attend, but not to speak about backdrop. We're welcome to go and talk about Drupal, but no talking about backdrop um, by members of the Drupal Association. Um, And it's, it's, you know, for us, it's like, okay, we don't want to make any enemies. So we'll do what they want. But I think it's been most distressing to the organizers of the conferences who don't really understand, you know, they think this is something their attendees want to hear about, it's something they wanted to put in the schedule, and then they're told they can't do it. And we're like, look, you know, it's fine, we can come talk, we'll talk about panels, we'll talk about, you know, configuration well, management or working
0: on getting let's be clear both of you are Drupal 8 contributors
2: yes both and of we're welcome made... to talk about Drupal 8. that's yeah. also <laughs> yeah. it's not like you're
0: you're not it's not like you're anti- Drupal both of you have made you know more than significant contributions to Drupal 8 core
2: yep I mean yeah, the, so awesome. the way it was phrased was that you know they wouldn't invite anyone from WordPress to come and give a talk on WordPress at a Drupal event But I've given talks on WordPress at at Drupal cons in the past, and that was fine. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's you know people in Drupal are very very passionate about Drupal, um, and there are hard feelings, and you know we have to acknowledge that people do this because they love this, and I understand. Like I, you know, this is something that's very conflicting for Nate and I when we first started. It we're like, are we really going to do this? Because we can feel, you know, we have passion about this too, but we feel. The same, you know, as other people, like we understand the where they're coming from and, and not not wanting this. It's it's you know it's it's hard to think about, um, but at the same time, like there's still plenty of ways that we can be one community. Like we can still work together on a lot of stuff, and and you know, being asked to not speak at DrupalCon is not it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's unfortunate, but we'll deal with it. We want to keep friends, so.
0: So you haven't received any droplet-shaped bags of poop on your doorstep?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for giving people ideas. <laughs> but no, I feel like most of the negativity around backdrop is not something that's been directed at us, which I think is good. I think you know most people know us and they respect us for the stuff that we have done. We yeah. have contributed a lot to Triple Eight. Um, it's more about you know the idea of oh, my God, this is going to hurt Drupal in some way, or this is going to fracture the community. Uh, But most of the things that I think people are worried about are going to happen regardless of whether Backdrop exists or not. Like, there's already a fork in the community with contributed projects needing to have different maintainers for Drupal 7 and Drupal 8. Like, the things that people are afraid of are not, we're not caused by Backdrop. Um, We're just trying to make another option for people who don't like the only way that was there before this existed. So,
0: so okay. Let's end the talk on division and let's let's finish this conversation about how Drupal and Backdrop are actually working together. Sure. Uh, it sounds like, and I'm guessing that the two of you, as well as possibly some other um, core contributors, um, are probably the drivers behind this because you have you know um, presence a presence in both communities. There's no doubt has to be some knowledge transfer and possibly code you know shared among both projects is, is anything like that happening
2: oh yeah so there's so much stuff that we've been able to share across both projects and um uh, i I'm just going to mention security because I, I'm not sure Nate would bring this up, but um back when Job back, first. Uh, I think it was even right before we released the first version, there was a bunch of discussion in the Drupal security queue about how we've got the same code and we're going to have the same security problems and we should really be involved in um, the the security issues for Drupal. And Nate was added um, to the security team for Drupal and he went through every open issue that they had for Drupal 7 and added feedback and opinions on how to solve the problems. And there were some people from the Drupal security team that were like, wow, there hasn't been this much progress made on Drupal security issues in a really long time. So just that alone was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, since since Backdrop has come out, we have had to de- synchronize several security releases with Drupal. And we've been pretty good about making sure that, you know, everybody's on board and ready to do everything at the same time. And that works both for Drupal core but also for contrib. Like we have modules like Views from Drupal 7 in core for backdrop. And so if Drupal 7 views module has a security release, we have to issue a new release for backdrop at the same time too. So there has been a whole bunch of collaboration on those solutions as well as um, the you know notifications of, of security updates as well as rolling out the code and, and making sure that everything's been Handled together in a way that's responsible, so that sure. I think has been fantastic. And, I'm not, um, sure and if you,
0: I'm not sure if you specifically mentioned it right there, but it just to make it clear that goes both directions. Obviously, yes. if, the, if there's a security issue found in backdrop, um, I'm assuming that Nate or, or someone else is you know checking. Drupal core to see if that exists there and ha- reporting it in both places.
2: Yeah. We're, we're pretty familiar with what this significant differences are between backdrop and Drupal seven core. Mm. And um, yeah, if we find, I mean, so far what we've, the stuff we found for backdrop has been, oops, we, we put this in here, right? <laughs> right. Uh, we can fix that. But every now and then there is something that will definitely affect both. And there is communication between the two and um, issues that get addressed in private and resolved uh, in public. So yeah, both two way collaboration
0: there. Okay, very, I interrupted you a second ago. It was there? I
2: was just going to turn it over to Nate to talk a little bit about the performance improvements that we've been getting into both backdrop and Drupal seven.
3: Yeah, we. Uh, <coughs> be, yeah, it's it's funny. A lot of the things we fix apply directly to Drupal seven, um, and David Rostein is the the guy mostly looking at Drupal seven these days, and he's been. Just unbelievably helpful in um, both reviewing like what we've done and also um, pushing stuff even back into Backdrop. Like some security fixes, he he'll roll both the Drupal uh, Seven and the Backdrop one because they're basically the same code, um, and that's been been super helpful. And I think um, like uh, our relationship is is so good. Like when we push stuff back to the Drupal repository, like it's great to have. Um, the Drupal community looking over the solutions that we've applied in Backdrop, and then they'll have feedback um, that may make the solution better yet, of course. like the, the more eyes you have on any problem, the better um, the solutions become. But with, uh, with Backdrop, we kind of have a, just a different level of responsibility for core than a lot of um, people might feel around Drupal core, because Drupal core has kind of had its um, it's team of people that have been responsible for it for a long time, and with backdrop, the responsibility shifted basically onto an entirely new group of people and the new group of people is finding different problems that the the um the people that have been looking at the code for a long time you know they they're looking at different areas people just behave differently when they're reading over something that's familiar <clears throat> and so at one point we went over and and tried to optimize a bunch of things that we Found some slowness in. um, And things like the the theme registry um, had this crazy slowness in it where we managed to speed up the theme registry by like 80% or something like that when finding theme functions, which was awesome. Um, And we submitted that back to Drupal, and that's in current releases of Drupal 7 now. Um, Info files, we sped up the processing of info files by 80 times. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which was nice, yeah, and and uh, reduced memory usage by ninety five percent. So um, that was a huge win. And just to, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you're not regularly profiling that because it only happens on cache clears, you know, or visiting mm-hmm. the modules page. Um, but uh, we've come up with some some great solutions there, and then had those incorporated back into Drupal core. Um, both of those in already. Um, Drupal eight actually, we we have a bunch of issues there too um, because we were in production before uh, Drupal eight was. Uh, w- since we came out like, over a year ago, we found a bunch of problems once we had users actually, you know, deploying the software. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know in particular around like dialogs and CK editor because that's where I was working in Drupal eight a lot and And the code is is similar again between the two of them um and so we found a bunch of issues um and then have reported them back to Drupal. Some of them have been fixed, some of them not some of them neither of us know what to do <laughs> and so uh so we're both anxiously kind of trying to figure out you know if if we find a solution then then it's all out there in the open, but we're doing more than that than just. Posting them out in the open in a lot of cases will actually actively cross lines. Like I know uh, Wim Lears has showed up a couple of times in the backdrop um, core queue and, and posted feedback on things that we're doing over there. If there's more activity over on the backdrop side, then, then uh, sometimes he'll show up there. Um, and a lot of times we'll be over in the Drupal core queue as well. So we, we've had fixes into Drupal 8 as well. Um, because we're kind of this hybrid, where we've got a lot of Drupal Seven code, a lot of Drupal Seven architecture, but we also have a lot of Drupal Eight like features, and so we're we're in both areas. They're helping where we can.
0: So you didn't hear it from me, but I think this is your Trojan horse presentation entry to DrupalCon. I think. it's we... how
2: we can collaborate.
0: How how Backdrop mm. collaborates with Drupal. Didn't hear it from me, but I mean. That's... <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, Nate. What you just said, I mean, that's super interesting. From uh, you know, as a Drupalist, you know, to know that there are other open source projects that, and I, I I believe that when Drupal Geddon came around, we were collaborating with the WordPress community and maybe with Joomla to make sure that they didn't have a similar issue um, in their CMSs. So, I, I think there's something there of how. You know, different open source communities can collaborate together on security issues.
1: And, and I'm, oh, presumably, yeah. this is this is something we should be doing with Symfony and Drupal 8, or we already are doing with Symfony and Drupal 8. So now we've incorporated another open source project. So, you know, it's collaboration between Drupal 8 and Symfony. And so now collaboration between Drupal 7 and Backdrop. So
0: I feel like we're so scheming. You know- <laughs> we're all going to get along. <laughs> That's great. It's all good. All good. All right. So let's do this. I'd
2: also like to add one more thing, which is that we just spent a a bunch of time talking about how like backdrop and Drupal core are collaborating, but there's a whole bunch of really similar things going on in contrib too. where um, I think that the biggest thing is like new eyes on old code. Um, I I did a bunch of porting of modules over for my first website and I reached out to a bunch of contrib maintainers, which initially made me really nervous because I wasn't sure how the Drupal contribute community was going to react when someone said, hey, you know, I'm going to use your module on backdrop. Do we fork it or do you want to maintain it or how does this work? Um, And all of the module maintainers have been very pleasant. And most of the time they've, you know, if not had the time to do the work themselves, they've said, let me know if you have any questions. I'll see if we can help. And then when you get new eyes on that code, you can say, oh, hey, I found a couple of like micro optimizations in, in the way this code works, or I need this feature for my website. Here's a patch for the Drupal version. Um, I usually spend a, t- a bunch of time in the Drupal issue queue before forking a, a Kintrib project, and I go through and I review all of the patches that are there. And it just kind of kind of bumps that Drupal project, that especially if it's a Drupal 7 project and it hasn't, you know, it's been out for five years. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention recently. It kind of brings it back to life a little bit, and you can get all of those uh, bugs fixed and new features added before it gets forked. And then just recently, I had a, a client site that needed a new feature for the address field module. And so I spent a day working on a patch that somebody wrote two years ago for Drupal, got it working, and then was able to contribute that back to the Drupal 7 address field module as well. So there's a bunch of a collaboration, not only in, in core between the two projects, but also in the contrib space, which I think is um, very notable.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's I mean, I was unaware of a lot of this collaboration until... Until this conversation, so I'm hoping that I'm indicative of a lot of our listeners as well who, who are learning about the, the, the level of, um, of of work that's going on between the two communities. So, all right, so uh, let me do this. Let's um, we're going to speed through the next few things because we're, we've been going for about an hour now, and we'd like to keep it to you know hour fifteen, an hour hour and a half, and we're going to definitely try and come underneath or under that today. So real quick, let me talk about um, the next session of the 12-week Drupal Career Online program starts in mid-March. For those of you who haven't heard about it or haven't heard about me talking about it, it is a live online Drupal training class that focuses on workflow and site building, best practices, model development, theme development, we meet for three half days a week. It's definitely not a boot camp. It's a much more reasonable pace. Um, this the, the students who have come through, this I think is going to be our 10th time teaching it. I've actually, honestly, I've lost track. The students who come through are, are either people who are looking to level, level up their skills from hobby, hobbyists to professionals. Um, lately, we've had a lot of students who already have full-time jobs using Drupal every day. Um but usually more on the content admin side and they want to, they've either been asked to learn more about it so they can take on more responsibility or they, they just want to know more about it. Um, we get nothing but great feedback from it. So definitely check it out. We do this thing called the taste of Drupal in mid, mid February where we get everybody on go to meeting for a couple hours. And I talk about the course and, and what it entails and what to expect and, and potential students can ask me questions and, um, you know, basically we get as much information out there as possible about this uh, about the 12 the full 12 week course. Uh, for more information, obviously go to slash dco DrupalEasy.com/dco, drupaleasy.com/dco and maybe by the time you're hearing this, uh, that site has been relaunched in Drupal 8. We're, we're very close to, to making that happen. Um, while I'm at it, let me also mention webenabled.com and devpanel.com. Uh, longtime sponsors, uh, advertisers on our podcast, as well as uh, I think this is the first time I'm going to mention it. They are also gold sponsors for this year's Florida Drupal Camp, which is happening in early March. So uh, I'm going to just fly. I'm just going to mention the three stories. Uh, we'll skip discussing them. If you're interested in, in any of th- these three stories, links will be in the show notes. Um. Uh, there was an article came cross Drupal Planet not too long ago about crawling the top 15,000 Drupal websites, the 2016 edition. Uh, the author, Christian Polso, P-O-L-S-O, uh, he did this last year as well. And what he does, is he uh, basically looks at the top 1 million uh, websites from Alexa and just does some you know, sniffing around on them, figure out which CMS they're using, which version of Drupal, and then writes a nice little article about it as well. So uh, you can check that out. Uh, Drupal 8.1 is uh, coming soon. And there's a, a blog post, I believe it was from XGM, XJM, posted it um, last week about what's coming in 8.1. So you can check that out. And, of course, uh, a few days ago, Drupal celebrated its 15th birthday. And Dries had um, a blog post where he talked about the past 15 years and, and about Drupal so, all of those links will be in the show notes if you are interested. Uh, but let's go right to picks of the week. Ted, are you ready to go?
1: Yep. Yep. So, since you nixed my uh, pick of the week, because uh, it'll didn't be nix the... it.
0: I said, Ted, that pick of the week is so important. We need to devote an entire podcast to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true.
0: With somebody else as the guest who can talk intelligently about it. <laughs> I, was hoping I think it might even encompass multiple episodes. It might end up, it might be multiple yeah. episodes.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I chose a module that I just uh, made because um, uh, it was the only thing that came to mind right after I got nixed, um, which I see I have the wrong link to. Anyways, I'll fix that. So I made a module called Scheduled Updates, and this is something that I was um, doing as part of the, the Acquia's uh forget what they're calling, it's like a Drupal 8 porting of a bunch of modules. In this case, it's not a a port, but a new module, and basically the idea is you can schedule updates to fields. Um, So the most obvious example would be, I want to schedule a publish date for an article. Um, But you could do stuff like, I want to schedule adding and taking away roles from users, or stuff like that. So um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to sort of learn, um, really dive in even more deeply to Drupal eight um, code and uh, yep. So it's it's a uh, an alpha four release and I could use uh, feedback and testers and stuff like that. So
0: and obviously only for Drupal eight.
1: Only for Drupal eight could be made for Drupal seven could be made for backdrop, um, but don't have the time right now.
0: <laughs> All right, very good. And Anna, how about you? Sure. So uh,
4: this is um, the, the article that I uh, have shared and picked and wrote up as my screen goes blank. Um, is kind of a mouthful. The title is How I Stumbled Across Upon the Internet's Biggest Blind Spot. And it's a pretty lengthy article. Um, the uh, woman who wrote it is a researcher, a former venture capitalist looking at uh, Silicon Valley, and kind of where does the money come from, what, what does the money go towards, and kind of finding out that, you know, the, the, the foundations in a lot of places of the tools that we use for open source, um, you know, the languages, like looking at, like, PHP, like, uh, the, the development of these, la- of these core languages isn't really on the radar of venture capitalists. So what would happen if, you know, there's no funding towards developing PHP then all of the you know unicorn projects built on PHP are going to go away. So it's just an interesting read um, relating to the larger open source community.
0: All right. Very good. Um, and who was the author of that? Do you know? Uh, how had it open. open. Okay.
1: Nadia Igball? Egg- I don't know how to pronounce her last name.
0: Okay. Oh, my gosh. Jen just deleted hers. Holy- oh, no, no I bad. just, I
2: wanted you to do Nate's first because <laughs> his is relevant to that.
0: Very good. Okay. So the uh, easy segue into Nate's then.
3: Yeah. So um, mine is also related to the broader open source community, and that's um, the Software Freedom Conservancy or SF Conservancy. Uh, .org is their address. Um, They're currently doing a campaign matching um, fundraiser where you can donate to them and they will get matched by um, a a supporting sponsor. So it's a great time to to donate to them. The uh, reason why you should donate to them is that they're the underlying kind of financial arm for a bunch of open source projects, such as the ones that are lacking funding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some of those being uh, things like Git and SVN, Inkscape, Wine, uh, PHP, MyAdmin, like these tools that we use every day that um, that we kind of take for granted. The Software Freedom Conservancy is the financial arm of all of those projects where you donate uh, money to them when you donate to, say, Git. Uh, and it makes it so that the donations are, um, tax, deductible. are tax, deduct- tax deductible and those organizations or those <laughs> software projects don't need to have... Um, you know, dedicated nonprofits behind them. Instead, the Software Freedom Conservancy acts as a financial funnel to handle donations while making them tax deductible. So they're they're a great organization um, and they also uh, are under kind of a lot of fire right now because of their GPL enforcement where if somebody takes GPL code uh, and then builds on top of it a derivative work and then doesn't release the source code, not very many people are out there holding those uh, companies or, or individuals responsible for violating that, that the GPL by doing that. And so they're out there actively engaged in um, a lawsuit right now to enforce the GPL, making it so that if you're making derivative works off of GPL open source code, that those derivatives will also be GPL open source code. And there aren't a lot of people that, that are that have the experience and knowledge to actually go after um, that kind of violation of, of our open source principles. And so it's a great time to contribute to them uh, and they could use our help. So that's my shtick for the day.
0: That was quite a list of, of software projects that you mentioned there. That...
3: Yeah, they're, they're an incredible organization and it's, it's surprising that not many people are actually aware of their existence. So, so if you uh,
1: donate to them, do they, they dole out the money? It's not like you say, okay, I want to donate to them and I want this to go to Git.
3: Well, you can it, do actually it, is, is, it actually is both. Right now, they as an organization need money. And so okay. I would suggest donating to them as an organization today. Um, but whenever you donate to Git, Gits, um, Git's donation links and SVN's donation links and all of those things, you're actually donating to the Software Freedom Conservancy and then they funnel it through to the project. So okay. it, go, it goes both ways where, um, yeah, where, where normally that's their service where you donate to Git and then you, they, they act as the funnel.
0: Who's actually doing the matching? Who's actually providing those matching funds? Do we know?
3: Yeah, this uh, this particular campaign uh, was is being matched by. Yeah, there's a
0: lot of text on the page. I'm trying to parse it really quick, but I don't.
4: Yeah, see I think it. it's right at the top. Private internet
3: access. There we go. I knew it was an internet oh, provider. Okay. There you go. Or or uh, internet related provider. And oh, there, oh. that's an interesting service too, where basically it's like um, um it's kind of like a Tor um, internet service provider kind of idea where. Oh, okay. You, you sign up to use their servers and then they'll anonymize your traffic
0: alright interesting alright Jen try to uh, top that one good luck sorry I
2: don't think I can top that one but yeah, uh, I was just going to gonna say <laughs> my, my pick of the week is the Radix layouts project which was something that Nate had mentioned earlier in the call um, it's a module for Drupal that will provide you I think it's 33 different layouts that work with panels um, it's also a uh, layouts project for Backdrop, which will provide you the same layouts, but they'll work with the Backdrop layout system instead of needing to work with panels.
0: Which means it works for any theme. Yes. So for fear of, I'm going to ask this, even though I, I fear it might lead to a, a rabbit hole, how early in, in the Backdrop development process was this idea hatched of separating layouts from themes? Was this something it was- that was kind of core to what you wanted to do?
2: Yeah, I mean, we when we were thinking about well, okay, panels was my favorite module for Drupal. It's and this is one of those problems that's been you know around Drupal for a very long time, where when you change your theme, your site breaks. Mm. Um, so we definitely had those two things in mind. Where we have the solution, people really want to be able to drag and drop stuff on their pages. Um, how do we? put it into backdrop and it was one of those things where we thought if we could get that into backdrop 1.0 that would be a differentiator between backdrop and drupal and we didn't have a lot of those so it was definitely high on the priority list
0: early on wasn't there wasn't one of the drupal 8 initiatives something about a layout system Yes,
2: uh, there was, uh, I think, part of the whiskey initiative right. was to figure out blocks and layouts for Drupal 8, but they had so much other stuff as part of that initiative that it didn't get done in time. Right.
0: Okay, moving on. Uh, last pick of the week, my pick of the week, and actually, Ted, I have to thank you because you're the one who exposed me to this module, is the contact storage module. Um, and if you're familiar with Drupal 8 at all, Drupal 8 comes with a contact module, and it's, uh, it's a full entity, so you can have multiple contact forms that are fieldable. Um, so it kind of is, a, think of it as a lightweight version of Ted, your Drupal 7 module entity form. It uses the field API. Um, what the core contact module lacks, though, is that it only sends the results of those forms via email. What the contact storage module does is adds um, the database storage layer for your contact forms. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer to, if you're going to be using the contact form, um, to use contact storage so that any time a contact form is submitted, it not only does it get emailed somewhere, but it also um, gets stored in the database.
1: So I'd also like to say, though, that they're adding, I think that it's more like a contact plus module. I mean, they named it contact storage, but since then, I think they're adding redirects and, and uh, blocks uh, to it. So if you want something done or if you, if you want some extra feature for the contact forms and you think it might be there, you could check it out and see if they've done it.
0: All right. Very good. Um, upcoming events. So we've got a quite a few of these here. Um, so next weekend or this weekend, depending on when you're listening to the podcast is Drupal camp, New Jersey. Uh, takes who is, who? who's,
4: who's the keynote of Drupal Camp Nature?
0: <laughs> Somebody, uh, I know, whoever it is, he, he, he better know what the heck he's doing. That's all I'm saying. He needs, he needs more cat gifts in his presentation? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's taking place uh, January 29th through 31st. Uh, I am honored to, to be doing the keynote. Uh, Ted, I know you're going to be there. Uh, yep. And what's that, Ted? Say, Say no. Yep. 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 Okay. yep. That I'll same, well. oh really? Are you going to be in New Jersey? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic! All right, great, 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 great. Um, that same weekend, Drupal Global Sprints are taking place. Uh, a lot of different places around the world, uh, mainly on Saturday the thirtieth. So you can definitely check that out. Uh, we'll have the link in the show notes with all the locations. Uh, Sand Camp, which is San Diego, Drupal Camp, uh, uh towards the end of February. Uh, Jen and Nate, I'm assuming one of you is going to be there since I believe you guys put that in here.
2: Yep, we're both going to be there, and we're actually doing a, a, our first full-day backdrop training at Camp as well.
0: So that is a backdrop-friendly event? Yes, it is. Okay, very good. And Drupal Camp, New York City, 2016. Uh, Ted, was that you who put that in there?
1: Yeah, so basically they're doing an unconference, I think is what they're doing. And so basically they have this really big four- or five-day event in the summer usually. And this is a one-day event. Um, on conference style last I heard. So I'm pretty excited about going to yeah, it. I, th- I actually. The date of that? Uh, the 27th, I think. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, the 27th of uh, February.
0: Of February. Okay. If you could add that to the notes, that'd be great. Okay. Um, and then Drupal Camp Utah, I'm going to assume that's another gen and Nate event.
4: Yep, this is just
2: a, it's a Drupal Camp that I hadn't heard of before this year, but I wanted to promote it because there's apparently some fantastic skiing happening. And so anyone who's a skier and wants to get a ski trip uh, on the guise of a a work conference, this is a great place to go for that. It's right near Park City.
0: Fantastic. I actually think I will be, uh, I will be in, are you guys, where are you guys located now? Are you guys out west still? Yeah, we're in California. Okay, I'll actually be in Colorado, I think, uh, around Drupal Camp, Utah, doing something very similar to what you will be doing in Utah, I believe. Um, And then Florida Drupal Camp. I will get home just in time for Florida Drupal Camp, uh, which is Saturday and Sunday, March 5th and 6th, 2016. Registration is now open. We have three featured presentations. Uh, We don't do keynotes. Um, We started something a couple of years ago, which for us has worked fantastic. We do three double-length sessions, and Jen, you actually were one of our first uh, uh, featured sessions a couple of years ago, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So this year, we're doing something similar, three featured sessions. Uh, We have Morton doing uh, a a double-length session on theming. We have Jesus uh, doing a double-length session on Drupal Console, and Karen Stevenson, Nate, one of your co-workers, um, doing a session on Drupal 8 site building. Um so we're looking forward to that. And that website is uh just went live a couple of days ago. That's fldrupal.camp. And then mid-camp, which uh Anna, that's kind of your home camp, I believe. Yep, yep. And that takes uh, place looks like spring break week.
4: Yeah, which is nice because it lets us get space at the universities. Ah. Um, doesn't make it any cheaper, but at least it's available. Yes,
0: and that's so. March seventeenth through twentieth. So we are definitely in the the season of, of Drupal. Of, let's say the pre DrupalCon North America events. Um, it, it tend, you tend to see a bunch of them in the winter. They start tapering off around April, or you know, and then everyone kind of stays away from May because everyone's travel budget is pretty much shot on on DrupalCon. All right, so. Uh, Let's start with you, Nate. Where can people find you and Backdrop online? Uh,
3: my handle pretty much everywhere is Quick Sketch, um, and that's on Twitter, Drupal.org, BackdropCMS.org, everywhere. Um, yeah. and, oh, and uh, and QuickSketch.org is, is my is my blog, uh, and Backdrop can be found at BackdropCMS.org uh, and on Twitter, BackdropCMS, uh, and Facebook, BackdropCMS.
0: All right, and Jen.
2: Uh, I'm also Jen Lampton everywhere on the internet. So GitHub, Twitter, Facebook, my website, jenlampton.com.
0: All right. Anna?
4: I am Anna Colada, a acolada everywhere. And sorry, I am distracted by popping the bubbles on the Florida
0: campsite. Oh, I know. It's, it's, it's <laughs> very distracting. And Ted, how about you?
1: Uh, Ted Bo on Twitter and drupal.org and GitHub and then at uh, sixmultech.com. All right. com.
0: All right, Thank you, sir. And of course, you can follow Drupal Easy at Drupal Easy, uh, Drupal and Drupal Easy, Drupal Easy, Drupal Easy pretty much everywhere else. Our missing co host uh, today, Andrew M. Riley, the recently transplanted to Portland, Oregon, uh, Ryan Price is Liberator with uh, missing the last vowel. And our newest co host, um, Kelly, who's at Bright Bold. So, This is funny because I I looked this up before we started and we normally do, or we've been doing our five question segments since podcast 100. Jen, do you remember the last time you were on what the podcast number was? I don't. 99. Oh. You just missed it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to let you take these five questions and then Nate, you're going to have to sit this one out. But next time you're on, it'll be your turn to do the five questions. Sounds good. All right. So. Here we go. Just don't think too much about these. Give us a quick answer, and we'll go from there, Jen. So, name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. And backup, right. I can't guess you back say. can't yeah. be right back. Can't be back
2: up. Most people might already know this, but I am an avid equestrian. I ride horses, um, and it's a very different set of skills than writing code. So, I think that's pretty interesting.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, name the last piece of software that you installed, and it can I actually be your, don't.
2: Be I don't remember phone. what it was called. Um, But this is great because I need advice. Uh, I I got a Nexus 5X, which is like the new Google phone. Mm -hmm. And the volume is so loud. Like even on the quiet setting with headphones on, I just can't make it get quiet enough. Um, And so I've been installing all of these pieces of software to try and control volume levels. So if anyone on the Internet knows of a good app that will work on Android to make my phone quieter, um, tweet at me at Jen Lampton let me know what to do because I'm <laughs> getting really frustrated with it.
0: That so. might be the first time we've had a request rather than a, <laughs>
2: <know>. <laughs> I think I installed probably 10 apps for volume control and none of them actually helped. <laughs> so well,
0: I'll put that works. Okay. Um, what's a goal that you have not accomplished that you've set for yourself, but is scary.
2: Uh, well, I, mean, I would like past, to get...
0: We, you know, we've had people talk about you know, um, you know, presenting a session at, at a DrupalCon or...
2: I think actually what's scariest to me right now is like getting all of my tax documents ready because it's January. <laughs> so that's a goal Very for this good. month. One.
0: All right. <laughs> and um, what is the last, I guess I'll have to say, non... Um, uh, equine. The, equine, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Non-equine exotic animal that you've hand-fed.
2: Um, so probably the last exotic animal I met was when I was at DrupalCon Australia. Um, I went to one of their local zoos and I got to feed a koala and a, a emu and a, um, what are those little tiny kangaroos called? A wallaby. They were all pretty exotic. I don't remember which one was last, but would would one of those.
0: All right. So I'm going to go with koala because that's the first one. I, well, actually, I wrote down dingo, hoping you'd say dingo.
2: Oh, I didn't get to feed a dingo. They were all sleeping in the sun and they didn't want anything to do with the people.
0: All right. Well, I wrote down. We're, we're going to go with koala for now. Okay. And then, so what was your tipping point Drupal moment?
2: Okay. So what do you mean by tipping point? Is this like a tipping in or tipping out or tipping over?
0: tipping in. So (laughs) at at some point, at some point you weren't using Drupal and maybe you were doing custom CMSs or using Plone or WordPress or something, but then you got Drupal curious and you started using Drupal. But was there a moment in which you saw something that made you think, oh, Drupal is the CMS that for now, I'll throw that in here, for now, is the CMS that I want to devote my time to.
2: Okay, so I think for me it wasn't so much a moment as as like a slow uh, indoctrination, perhaps. Um, I was working at a, a small mom mom and chop web pop, mom and pop web shop, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we were using a whole bunch of different open source software. WordPress didn't exist back then, but we were looking at Mambo and Joomla, and we were using a bunch of social networking stuff and. Um, sugar CRM and all that good stuff. And uh, we had a couple of different websites at the same time that all needed to be kind of a fancy CMS type thing. And I did an evaluation of a whole bunch of different CMSs and decided I liked Drupal. But it wasn't, it was like Drupal for those two projects. It wasn't like I was all in for Drupal right away. But then after I spent about six months developing these two projects along with all of the other stuff I was doing at the same time, I started to look at all of the other stuff I was doing as being kind of Um, amateur and like I was doing everything wrong before I discovered Drupal and could see code written by people who knew what they were doing. Um, And then I started going to all of these uh, kind of meetings with clients where we were strategizing about what it was exactly they needed and the tool that we should use for the job. And I realized that my answer to every one of the what should we use questions was always we should do this in Drupal. Um, And I had accidentally become part of you know, the Drupal Kool-Aid drinking crew, not even realizing it until I was asked like very specifically, what do we do about this or this or this? And the answer was always Drupal, Drupal, Drupal. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm in.
0: Now I want to ask you the other question that you kind of alluded to. What was your tipping out point? So at what <laughs> point did you start thinking Drupal's not going in the direction I'm liking? Maybe there's another way.
2: So this was also kind of a gradual tipping out thing. And, and to be honest, I still do the majority of my client work today is Drupal because most of my clients have been on Drupal for a really long time. Um, but there was definitely a point um, about halfway through the Drupal 8 development cycle where I had committed all of this time and energy to Twig. Um, I'm I'm not a front-end developer. I spend most of my time in module land and not necessarily in theme land. Um, But I had committed to working on Twig because I felt like people who are coming to Drupal, the the newest people in Drupal, their their lowest common denominator was HTML and CSS, and they started in the theme layer, and that had to be easier for people to learn. Um, And so the whole point was making easy to learn, easy to learn, easy to learn. And I turned around one day and looked at what happened to the module space and was like, Everything I've been fighting for for the last two years to make things easier to learn over there it's it's like I had the rug pulled out from underneath me where it's like this is so much harder than you know trying I could see myself trying to teach that Drupal to the people in the future and being like no this is not this is not why I'm here. this is not what I'm fighting for like how how do we end up here' And when I did a really thorough inspection of how we ended up here, it seemed like all of the decisions made along the way were very logical and you could see how we got there. But it was the the when you could see the result of where we ended up, it was not right for me anymore. It was it was I wanted to make it easier for people to learn and this was not going that direction.
0: All right. So so I, I have to ask Nate the same question now.
3: Yeah, well. <laughs> uh in early Drupal 8 land, um uh I was working a lot on on um the dialog system, some Ajax refactoring, um and CK editor of course. I was the um the the battler for CK editor versus Aloha, which in hindsight, boy, I think we really dodged a bullet there. Do you know Aloha like threw away their entire code base and started over again? Like they're, they still haven't gotten out of alpha. Um, <laughs> <to> give, <laughs> give me an idea of where Aloha ended up. And that Aloha editor was in Eight for a period yeah. of time until, um, until essentially myself and, and Fred CK from, you know, FCK editor, um, uh, Basically, were able to convince uh, other people otherwise. So um, I was so, doing wait, a lot on. of wait.
0: You just blew my mind. The F in FCK editor stands for Fred.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's it was his it's his his initials, and I can't pronounce them. I'm I'm sad to say, but um, I, I know no his first idea. name is Fred. <laughs> am,
0: am I the only one who didn't know this? Did yeah, I had no idea. I, I, didn't <laughs> know I didn't know it. Right.
3: <laughs> anyway, <glad> it was <laughs> his initials, and so yeah. Anyway. We 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 basically worked together with um, the Acquia office of the CTO, who was the primary driver behind the so called Spark initiative, which was working on the inline editing thing. And they essentially eliminated every uh, WYSIWYG editor that couldn't do inline editing, which was almost all of them at the time. Mm-hmm. But by the time Drupal 8 came out, like TinyMCE has inline editing, CK Editor has inline, <laughs> has inline editing now. So it really was they they eliminated the best choices based on um kind of an uh an artificial requirement anyway we we fixed that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh but uh so the, anyway the great thing uh well uh, gosh when i was doing that stuff though like i was trying really hard to make triple better um but i had become an unhappy person like uh the the amount of uh frustration that I had to endure like during the Drupal 8 cycle, like as things were changing constantly and seeing the amount of problems that was going to cause for me in the future. It's like, I've got to maintain and update all this code. Um, and like as as ted knows like web form module like i was looking at web form module and i was like oh my god this is going to be a, a nightmare um which is one of the reasons why we don't have a web form <laughs> port right now right <laughs> because it is a, it is a nightmare and just seeing the scope of the changes i was just seeing um a lot of a lot of work, um, a lot of unnecessary work, in my opinion, um, for myself and for everybody that owned a Drupal website, uh, and and I became quite unhappy, and so uh, I decided to do something about it, and that was um, basically this this shift in direction where it's like we can we can write amazing code and amazing features and. Not change so much, make it so that that uh, we have a, a a backwards compatibility policy um, and and give people a choice and so since then that's that's what I've been doing. <laughs> all right.
0: That, great answer, outstanding. all right well let's let's wrap this up. We're at about an hour and a half, so I think we've we've hit our our limit and our, our listeners' tolerance, uh, perhaps. So, obviously, if you want to uh, listen to more episodes of the Drupal Easy podcast, you can go to DrupalEasy.com. Or you can search for Drupal Easy in iTunes or Miro or Stitcher or any of the other um, available podcast apps out there. As always, if you want to uh, leave us a voicemail about anything, um, we don't put too many of them on because a lot of times they're not that interesting. But uh, you can it a <laughs> shot. 321 396 Two, three, four, zero. You can always... Try to be interesting. Try to be interesting, yes. It's a, it's, well, it's actually kind of a low bar, let's be honest. Um, if you want to follow what we're tagging uh, in between podcasts and what we might talk about, you can uh, do that on Delicious with the Drupal Easy podcast tag. In the next few weeks, we're actually working on the schedule for the next, I think, three months at this point. Um, our next guest is not confirmed, so for now I'll just say mystery guest. After that, we have uh, David Snowpeck, who will be talking about the Drupal 6 end of life and what's going to happen with security updates for people who have Drupal 6 moving forward. And then the elephant in the room that Ted's pick of the week alluded to earlier was um, we're going to talk to Preston So um, about uh, Drupal's front end and the, the enormous discussion that's going on. About that, which I, I really want to ask Jen and Nate about, but I'm not going to do that. Cause. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've
3: been, I've been, I've been thinking so much. I've been reading and tracking all of that, and it's just, yeah, it's it enormous. Makes, <laughs> yeah, it's funny that. Oh man, we have so many things to say, but we we haven't been saying them because it kind of just like. Not, not our place anymore. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, very good. So, Anna and Ted, thank you very much. And um, most of all, Jen and Nate, thanks a lot for your time, for your uh, you know continued contributions to both the backdrop and Drupal projects. I think everyone who's used Drupal has been uh, has been affected by your work, and that's that's no small accomplishment.
3: Thanks so much for having us, and and for having. Giving us this opportunity to talk to everybody about backdrop.
0: Oh yeah. no, no, problem. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 part of the Drupal ecosystem, whether or not everybody wants to admit it or not. So <laughs> it is, <laughs> it is what it is. All right, so we'll see everybody next time on the next Drupal Easy Podcast. See ya.